we see uh, in being the church is that membership is something uh, that matters. Membership is something that matters. We, we talk about meaningful membership uh, here a lot, where being a member of this church, we want it to, to, to mean something significant. And when you think about uh, some of the stories you might hear, if you've been around church for, for any length of time or maybe just know people that are part of churches, you hear all kinds of goofy stories happening where like church splits happen because drums went on stage or the carpet color wasn't what they wanted uh, or something to that something like that but what we see is that uh, in, instead the church is meant to be a place of beautiful unity and so what I want to do is read a passage that shows somewhat of the the vision it's like a one verse mini vision that that we have for the, the point of the church the end goal of the church if you will and then, uh, and then I want to talk about what Jesus tells us to do in order to, to be faithful in pursuing that. So uh, flipping your Bibles uh, to uh, Ephesians 5, uh, which is on page 1823, if you are, if you are uh, using the Pew Bible. So this verse is uh, a beautiful passage of, uh, about marriage, and I would love to preach about the marriage implications of this, but what it does is it shows us that marriage is really just a reflection of the gospel. Let me look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is what Jesus did. He, he loved the church and gave himself up, and this is the vision. Verse 26. To make her, the church, holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So we get this beautiful picture of what the church is, is going to be. Jesus is God, and he will be perfectly effective in bringing this about, this picture of uh, a beauty uh, without blemish without any, any blame, holy, set apart, distinct. If you ever struggle with the gap between the beauty of this, if you've been a part of church at all, you know that the daily grind in church often isn't like that. There can be a question of uh, how do we get there, or do we just live in this gap, live in, in kind of just the, the, the mess of it uh, without, without any hope. But I don't think that's what God designed for his church. I, I'm thinking of, we'll, we'll always have problems here, but I'm thinking of uh, member meetings that we uh, look forward to, <laughs> that we look forward to going to, and we leave feeling encouraged and excited about what God has doing. I think of a church family where people are actively letting go of their preferences with things that they would rather not have because they see that it's good for the whole having carpet color that they don't actually like and i say say these things with a heavy heart because even just in my short time here as we're in this season of revitalization as a church a, a lot of really painful things have happened in our church family and and the reason we're teaching on what it means to be the church uh, is because when uh, i believe with my whole heart that when we unite under god's word beautiful things happen 
And I think one of the things we see in Scripture is that meaningful membership, when membership is taken seriously, a lot of the carpet squabbles and the, the scary member meetings that, uh, that, that make everyone feel really sad, they start, to, they start to go away. At the beginning of the year, the deacons and I, we came up with a to-do list. We wanted to just kind of land the plane on three things. Of course, I came to them with like 18 things, and they're like, that's too many. Uh, so we picked, th- we picked three. That's why we have deacons. And the top of the list was to have our member role as a church reflect reality, where people who are covenant members who call this church their home will say, I want to serve and be served. I want to lead and be led. Uh, we want that list of people to reflect reality. Because one of the, the goofy products of the 20th century, um, the century we just left, is, to, is ch- for churches to have member roles, they just have no connection to, to reality at all. So you, you, know, you might have a member role of 500 people you know, with like 20 people in attendance on, on Sundays. Or you, know, you, you have 10,000 members in some of these big churches, but you know, like 100 people actually serve and participate. Um, so we want to look and see what God's word says about it, what God's word's vision for membership is, what it looks like for it to really count and, and what that does for us. And um, the, the, the vision of this is that this would promote unity, encouragement, uh, that this would be a, 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 a place of security where we can be known, fully known and fully loved and uh, see some of, some of uh, Jesus' vision here in, in Ephesians 5 come to, come to fruition. So my main point for this morning is church membership is how the world knows who represents Jesus. We're going to unpack this statement because if you think about it, it's kind of crazy. Church membership is how the world knows who represents Jesus. This is just one of the staggering realities of how God designed the church to be in the world by the power of the Spirit is that uh, there's an authority given to the local church to affirm who belongs to Jesus. And I realize this is radically countercultural because we live in a day and age of spiritual but not religious where we have our own little buffet uh, religion. We pick and choose and we decide what works for us. And because we're all... Americans, we don't want anyone to have any authority or say over our lives. And but hear me saying that's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible just doesn't leave any space for any kind of lone ranger, uh, choose your own adventure kind of Christianity. One of the most simple evidences of this is that Jesus was almost never alone one on one with his disciple his disciples. He had a crew of 12 guys that he rolled with a lot, and then he had three, kind of an inner circle that he was with, and a group of four. But he's almost never alone one-on-one with his disciples. We follow Jesus in community with his people. And one of the things we have working against us is the term membership, because we can be Amazon Prime members or Rotary Club members when it's convenient for us. As long as the free shipping outweighs the member fee, where I'm getting a- enough out of the Rotary Club to merit my time on Tuesday afternoons for lunch, then I'll be a member. It's very much a pick and choose kind of thing. And that's not bad. Like, we don't need to be like, covenanted to Amazon. Please don't be covenanted to Amazon. Some scary stuff going on with that company. 
But at the core of how we think about membership, culturally, it's the individual picking and choosing. We pick and choose our, our memberships according to whether or not it's worth it. Indivi individuals decide what clubs are worth being members of. College kids here, the first few weeks of school is just like this overwhelming onslaught of everybody wanting to join their stuff. And uh, I'm glad I'm past that season. Uh, but it is exciting. And you decide what, what is the thing that I want to, want to join. But in scripture, we don't see a group of individuals kind of volunteering or making some kind of like calculated decision. Yes, this is worth my time. Yes, I think this will be helpful in my own personal individual life. Instead, what we see in scripture is citizens of a new kingdom. A citizen is a much better word for what it means biblically to be a part of a church. Be part of a church, being a follower of Jesus, people who have said, Jesus is my savior. He saved me from sin and death, and he's the Lord of my life. He has the final say in how I live. These people aren't members of a club. We're citizens of Jesus' kingdom. When we think about a kingdom or a country, it's something that you're simply born into. Because of the fact you're born in that country, you are now a citizen of that country. Most of us were born as citizens of the United States. We didn't pick the U.S. or volunteer to join because it made sense to us. It's who we are by birth, and we, by birth, are subject to the authority of the government of the United States. When you become a Christian, when you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you become born again into his kingdom, and now he is Lord. We can't have Jesus as our Savior, but not the Lord of our life. One of the terms scripture uses for becoming a Christian, becoming a Jesus follower, is being born again. It's this new birth. The old has fallen away. The new has come. So we're born again into Jesus' kingdom. We're now a citizen of his kingdom. And we're now uh, joyfully uh, in submission to his lordship, to his rule and reign. That brings us to our first point. which is Jesus has all authority. I'd like to start with hopefully a relatively easy, agreeable one. Sorry, my iPad is having issues. Jesus has all the authority. He's ruler and king. Hopefully this isn't too radical of an idea, but there is no hope for any kind of flourishing church or really a flourishing life if we want to be uh, thorough with it without having this idea that Jesus is Lord and king. There's just no Jesus without authority. If you say in that kind of cultural, spiritual buffet where I like some of Jesus' stuff, I also like some of the Dalai Lama or, or whatever you want to pick from, uh, Jesus doesn't uh, allow that to be true. If we look at Jesus at all, then we have to either see him as Lord or we have to see him as crazy because he makes bold, radical statements about his authority. One of them we read, uh, flip with me over to Matthew 28, Page 1550, starting in verse 16, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, pretty bluntly, Jesus' authority comes straight from him. All authority belongs to him. And from that, he sends us out to be the church in the world making disciples. But I want to show a little bit fuller of a picture of Jesus' authority because it's a really beautiful one. Jesus, I don't know what your relationship with authority is in your life. Probably all of us, to some degree, have been hurt by authorities in our life simply because, um, you know, not everybody is Jesus. Jesus, yes, or parents, or the government, or a, a, a boss. We've all seen the, the, the negative effects. Human history bears this out. But look what authority looks like coming from Jesus. I'll be flipping around a little bit today. I apologize for so much Bible, but I think it'll be worth it. 16, page 1673, John 13. I want to see this full, vis- this full picture, or a fuller picture of Jesus' authority. John 13, we'll start in verse 3. It's page 1673 if you're in the Pew Bible. This passage just devastates me. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So we have all authority in Jesus and his response to all his authority, everything being under his power, was to wrap himself in a towel, get on his knees, and wash dirty, stinking feet. This is a beautiful picture of the power and also the mercy of our king. Submitting to him as Lord and Savior is for, is for our flourishing, cleanses us, makes us new. But one of the most underrated parts of the gospel, underrated parts of the good news, is that Jesus is not just our Savior, but also our Lord. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord over our food and our sex and our work and our relationships and our money and our church. And he died for you. We see this washing of feet being just a a, a small precursor of the ultimate love and service that our King and Savior did when he died for us so that we can know, know God as our Father. So hopefully... We're all on board. This is a crucial starting point, Jesus' authority. But Jesus delegates his authority. This is my second point. Does the president write traffic tickets and, you know, I don't know, inspect airplanes, whatever the government does? does a lot of things. The answer is no. The, by, by definition, a, a leader typically does not do everything all the time, but he delegates the, his authority to other people who don't have any authority in and of themselves, but because of the authority that has been delegated to them, they have a role to play in enforcing the, the higher authority. So one delegation that I think is pretty easy to understand is in Romans 13, if, if you flip there. Romans 13, page 1764. This is a delegation that I think we kind of take for granted, but it's a beautiful promise. 
in times of turmoil and chaos that we're living in currently. Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That's the Bible, y'all. It's just pretty clear. All authority comes from God, but even political, like not religious, not the not anything spiritual, even political governments, civil governments are established by God. Verse 2, consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. What I love about this verse, well, a lot of things are really freeing, but even in our current day and age, where I feel like there's just a lot of political turmoil, ferocious debate, there's still kind of the unavoidable fact that if you follow the laws of the land, in general, things are going to go pretty well for you. As messed up as our political system is, it's been a long time since like a group of marauders like burst into my house and took all my sheep, or like Cadillac rounded up their militia and came down and pillaged Big Rapids. Like we we live in a pretty good time it, with all the political drama in there. Like we see the mercy of God in this government that He has put in place, for better or worse, and creating space for us to gather like this. Uh, to work jobs, provide for our families, eat, sleep safely, all these things. This is a gift from God. So it can grow a gratitude when we, when we uh, look at the tweets, the, the latest tweet, or hopefully we don't look at tweets too much. But in all the despair that we might feel about governments or their, their imperfections, we can see the mercy of God and the authority that he has delegated to them. So that's one delegation. The second delegation is obviously the one that we're here to talk about, and that's to the church. Flip over to Matthew 16. While you're getting there, I'll share a little nerdy thing with you. Jesus only uses the word church twice. Typically, when he's talking about God's people, he talks about the kingdom, are uh, people who have eternal life. Uh, this is one of two places that Jesus uses church. And then, uh, comparatively, Paul uses church all the time. So we see when, when uh, Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came uh, into, into the life of his followers, then Paul calls us the church. So it's, it's always fascinating to see when Jesus uses the word church, and I think it means something. So Matthew 16, 15, 24 in the Pew Bible starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? That, that was him. Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, 
Blessed are you, Simon, of, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a crazy passage that shows Jesus delegating authority to the local church, to the church. He gives the keys to the kingdom, keys to his kingdom to the local church. The local church, according to Jesus' delegation of authority, are gatekeepers. Which is my third point, kind of sticking with this government metaphor. The church is the embassy of Jesus' authority or an embassy of Jesus' kingdom. This bind and loose, bind and loosening, it's, it's one of the functions of what embassies do in other countries as they decide who is a citizen. They process passports. They're in a host country. They're in not their home country. They're far away, and they represent the interests, and they protect the people of the home country. So the church we see in Scripture is like an embassy where this church is not, or this world is not our home, when we become Christians, we're sojourners, we're exiles, the Bible says, about people who follow Jesus, is that now the world is not where we belong first and foremost. Our first, uh, our first loyalty is not ultimately to the world or to our, our earthly government, but to Jesus. And the church establishes citizenship of Jesus' kingdom. You think of the church as a, as a gathering of saints where Jesus' kingdom is lived out, where the laws of Jesus' kingdom are followed and enjoyed. The way of life, according to Jesus, is practiced. And just like embassies that we would have in uh, political realms, there is a clear distinction of who's in and out. There's clear distinction of who's a citizen of what country. Governments tend to take that pretty seriously. And then there's also a clear way to get in most of the time. So how does the church decide? What instructions, if Jesus hands us the keys as a church, you have the keys to the kingdom. Like, Oh my goodness, what do we do with these now? How, how do we exercise these keys? Because if we're reading this right, this cosmic authority that Jesus has given, not to any one person, but to the, the church, to the gathered saints, should take it pretty seriously. It should be sobering. Well, <clears throat> you don't have to turn there, because we, uh, we looked at it last week. But the first step is to see what the passport is. What does it look like to get a passport into Jesus' kingdom? I'm going to read Acts 2, verses 36 through 37. Therefore, Paul is preaching to a bunch of non-Christians. He's preaching to a bunch of Jewish people. And he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So we get the authority and the saving. Look what the people say, verse 37, chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, for your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Repentance is the passport into the kingdom of God. We see this at, at one of the foundational beginnings of the church where the Holy Spirit has come and, G, and Paul preaches, or Peter preaches, uh, and people are saved. It's repentance and baptism. This is, the, this is the passport. This is how we know who is in the kingdom, who's following Jesus. Because to be in the kingdom means what? That Jesus is our king. And one of the ways that we see sin described in, in the Bible is that apart from Jesus, we all want to be king. We, we all are set ourselves up on little thrones. And so the only way to enter into Jesus' kingdom is to, to get off the throne. And that's what repentance is, is letting go of our control, letting go of, of being God of our life, letting go of our spiritual buffet where we pick and choose what seems right to us, but in the end leads to death, Proverbs says. And we submit, we say, I rebelled, I was building my own kingdom, and I need forgiveness. And it's just, again, mind-blowing to me that, that Jesus gives us baptism. It seems like such a goofy religious ritual that we're going to just get people wet in a big group and cheer and holler. And it's, but Jesus invented it. Jesus is the one that gave us to it. And it's so profound that this soul, soul issue of repentance, of turning from our own kingdom, submitting to Jesus, it comes with a body thing that we, a body, bodily obedience, where we get in the water and we're lowered, showing that we're dying to our old self and we're being raised as a new creature. Repentance and baptism is, is simply the passport to the kingdom of God. This is good news if we have ears to hear, because it doesn't mean that you got to get your stuff together. It doesn't mean you have to read a bunch of history and take a test or master, you know, Greek and Hebrew or, you know, some of the different things you have to do to become, to become a citizen of a, of an earthly kingdom, which is fine. You know, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying in Jesus, you don't have to bring anything to the table that actually disqualifies you when you bring anything to the table. The only thing that will qualify you for uh, citizenship in Jesus's kingdom is empty hands asking for forgiveness and then an obedient body that's willing to be baptized, to obey and be baptized. It's not any sort of performance. It's not like you might hold your track record together and behavior modification where you manage to not sin or miss some certain sins, and then if you mess up, then the church can pull your passport and kick you out of the kingdom. Because all, all you have to do is, is go back to your passport and repent and receive forgiveness again. We see that repentance is not just the gate uh, into the kingdom of Jesus. It's also the way of life. It's something that we all do every day as we see more and more of our sin and our need for growth, our need to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it, even our tendency to want to sneak back up on the throne of our lives and, and not submit to Jesus' way of being and, and obey his commands. So repentance is the passport. It's also the way of life in the kingdom of God. And I want us to see how the church, if we are all people, followers of Jesus, citizens of his kingdom, who have our passport of repentance, how do we live together? What are, what are ways that we kind of process our passports together? And the answer is in Matthew 18. Here we begin to see 
why it matters to be a member of a church where people know you, where you're committed to the church and they're committed to you, not based on how easy it is or how fun it is or how well you get along, but because of who you are in Christ. So Matthew 18, page 1527, uh, starting in verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. Oh, it's in numbers there. I hope that wasn't confusing. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his faults, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here we see a connection to the keys of the kingdom. Jesus says, "Whatever you, I give you the keys, and whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loosed. I don't think that's perfect grammar, but I think you're tracking with me. What Matthew 18 is saying, and again, this is where we get into some really uncomfortable territory, is that part of being a Jesus follower is that we have others around us who keep us accountable. We have others around us who call us to repentance, who essentially, in love and tenderness, say, can I see your passport, <laughs> if you will? We see one of the, what it means to be a citizen of Jesus' kingdom is that we keep each other accountable. We, as Jesus followers, we keep each other accountable. If you see your brother sinning, your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. We see even uh, more vivid language in 1 Corinthians 5.12. We we're not going to turn there. Uh, we could read that whole chapter, but it's really scary. Uh, but it, Paul tells, instructs the church in Corinth, what it, am I to judge those outside a church? Or should I expect people who don't follow Jesus to live like people who do follow Jesus? No, we don't judge. When Jesus tells us not to judge, he's telling us not to condemn, because God will do that. But Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, don't judge those outside of the church. Rather, are we not to judge those inside the church? And he says, remove the wicked from among you. Or Jesus said, we looked at this in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. He says, don't give uh, to the dogs what is holy and don't put pearls before swine. To, to discern... We're putting pearls, we're putting the things of Jesus before someone who has no appetite for them. Are we going to continue doing that? Jesus says, don't do that because you'll get trampled and destroyed. <laughs> Very vivid language that, that both Paul and Jesus give us for as a church to discern what's going on in people's lives and hearts. Now, I want to say that Matthew 18 doesn't have to be scary. and In many ways, it can be this, this huge reassurance uh, that, that we're not going to get swallowed whole by our blind spots. Because here's the thing about blind spots. I, I learned this uh, in my studies, is that you can't see them. <laughs> you're, you're blind to them. And you need other people to point out your blind spots. And if we already have this identity that's based in the fact that we are accepted by repenting, we're accepted by grace through faith, then we can receive people pointing out our blind spots with joy. Like, oh, thank you. That would have eaten me alive. 
And when, when we're grounded in grace, then we just someone comes to us and shows us, his, shows us our fault, and we listen, and then the brotherhood is stronger. The relationship is even stronger because there's trust there. So in, in theory, this idea of Matthew 18, of the church being the embassy, it just happens all day, all the time. This is one of the main ways that we grow, that we leave our junk, uh, our, our brokenness that we've been saved from behind. But then if not, we see that the instructions for it to continue. Where maybe someone brings a fault uh, to you, or you bring a fault to someone, and there's just a disagreement. There's not a big fight. No one's throwing punches. They're just like, I don't... I'm not sure that's true, or I don't think that happened, uh, then you can bring someone else along. And it's not to gang up or bully. It's just to clearly establish what's being talked about. Maybe there's validation of the fault that's being brought, or maybe, or maybe there is, uh, maybe it's, it's not valid. And e- either way, there's clarity. We see just, it's very simple. There's Jesus providing a way to bring clarity. But if it's made clear by the testimony of two or three witnesses, and there's still a refusal to repent. There's people saying, I see that, I understand, and I'm not going to return from it. I'm not going to repent of it. Then what is being displayed is that this person does not have a passport in the king- to the kingdom of God, that this person is still resisting the repentance, the, the empty-handedness that is required to enter the kingdom of God. And so, if there isn't a passport, what does an embassy do? Someone claiming to be a citizen of the, country, of the home country, what does an embassy do? Well, they're very clear that they're not a citizen. They're very clear. Thus, it's no good for the country or the misinformed person to, to let them believe that they have a passport that they are a citizen when they're, when they're not. And then, depending on the foreign policy, you can extend an invitation to become a citizen. You can say, here's how you become. You're not a citizen. Here's how you become one. Invite, which in church, in church world, the church being the embassy, is to simply invite them to repent. So this is called church discipline. It's kind of the working title, uh, if you will. And again, church discipline is just a can be just a short, sweet conversation between two people that care about each other, that care enough to confront an issue. And then there's repentance, and then there's a stronger relationship. It's not meant to be a big, huge, scary thing. Shut everything down and and handle it. It's not fun. Uh, it's also very countercultural that we would ever submit to anyone other than ourselves, which is why many, many churches have not been doing it, which is, I would say, a large part of where the squabbles over carpet and music and whatever else, whatever other goofy squabbles exist in church world would exist is because this checking of passports, this calling to live in the way of Jesus, to embrace the grace of being saved, the, the, the spiritual poverty that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't there. And so we have people that aren't submitting to the same king, that aren't living by the same laws of the kingdom. Instead, they're living by their own laws. They're still on their throne, and that's why they get upset. The result is a, is a messed up church. 
again, let me read the vision for the church. When we practice church discipline, when we're going to take it seriously that, God, that Jesus has delegated authority, the, the keys of the kingdom, that if you have ever struggled with, with doubt of your salvation, that's not something you're supposed to figure out by yourself. That's one of the benefits of having a community is people can validate. I see God's work in your life. I see you repenting and growing. So this, this idea of accountability, this idea of checking passports is, is, a, is a, huge, uh, a, a huge refuge where we don't have to uh, map out our faith all on our own. And as our blind spots are pointed out to us, as we repent and live more and more into the way Jesus calls us, we see, we'll, we'll see Ephesians 5 happen. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is how we get there. This is one of the, the means by which God has extended to the church a tool, a practice, a way to be in the world, a way to be together as a church family uh, to where we move towards this beautiful vision. So there is a question to us. Is will we as a church family be willing to, to live out this reality, live out the fact that we do have the kingdom, we do have the keys to the kingdom, Will we be a church that steps into the process of church discipline even when it's scary and none of us want to do it? We do it in love because it's not loving to let someone believe they have a passport when they don't. And we do it in love because it's not, it, it will crush the church if we continue to give pearls to swine, people who have no appetite for spiritual things. Jesus says we'll be trampled. And the deacons and I uh, have felt called as we pursue cleaning our member roles uh, to, to reflect reality of who is bearing the passport of, of repentance and baptism uh, to, to address some unrepentant sin that we, that we see in our church membership. Uh, again, we don't want to do this, but this is something that we feel uh, led by Scripture and the Holy Spirit uh, in obedience um, and so that's something that will be, more information will be coming to you over the course of the next couple weeks. Uh, we will have a, a special business meeting, Jeff will officially call it at the end uh, during announcements on the 23rd, uh, where we'll seek to o obey scripture in this, in this, in this way. Uh, it's very, again, not fun, but my prayer, my, the cry of my heart is that we as a church um, in, in this tender, small revitalization season, that we will obey God's word, we'll see him purify us, Make us, make us more, more uh, beautiful, more like the bride that he uh, will ultimately uh, make us into. And while this has implications for us as a church family, I hope you also hear the beautiful invitation to repentance. If it's something that you're resisting, if you're drawn to Jesus, but the idea of getting off the throne, of letting him have the throne is scary to you, I hope you hear this beautiful vision that Jesus is an authority that, that washes your feet that Jesus is an authority that dies for you in love. So hear the call to repentance and baptism and enter the kingdom. Let me pray. Father, come before you 
Christmas with heavy hearts, and yet also a little bit excited because we see this vision that Jesus has for his church. Father, would you, in your mercy, protect us? I pray that you would uh, protect us from anything that I articulated poorly or confusingly. I pray that you would um, show us what it means, that it, that it is loving to go to brothers and show them their fault, go to our brothers and sisters and show them their fault. Uh, I pray that you would do the miracle of giving us hearts that would, uh, that would have such a deep experience of grace that we would receive uh, a fault showing with, uh, with joy, with opportunity to grow. That's a miracle. Uh, we never respond that way in our flesh, so would that be, would that be true of us? And as we enter this uh, season of church discipline, the next couple weeks, uh, whatever they look like, I pray for peace. Uh, it's, hard, and as we, it's hard to know how to communicate things the best way, the most respectful way, and I pray that there just be peace and trust as we seek to be faithful to your word as a church family. Father, in your mercy, would you do this? Jesus, would you build your church? In your name, amen.